Hello and welcome to A Pinch Magic Podcast with me, Rebecca Anuwin. Today we are joined by Stella Harvey Burrell, who is a contributor to the Modern Craft Powerful Voices on Witchcraft and Ethics. And we're going to start with a reading. Over to you, Stella. It takes a village to raise a child. Everyone knows that. So off you go to your village, acquire a couple Find the other women who acquired some in the same year and make your circle around which you can raise them. Simple enough. Some might say the cackling around kitchen tables, high from home bakes and caffeine, is almost covenly. That female friendship winds bonds around your children so tight that they are always safe, always protected. That those relationships smelted in the fire of toddlerhood and exhaustion can never liquidate, unless. What happens when your firstborn starts to tell you that they aren't a girl or a boy? What happens when one of your smelt bonded female friends tells you your child has shared ideas of suicide with her child at 10 years old? What happens when you stop Stop trying to control the gender, even the name of your child and realise they were never yours to control in the first place. What happens when your village, your circle, your friend sees you doing this and throws you out? What happens then? Thank you. I love the title of your essay in this and we were just talking about this just before we hit record and that the official title is polite persecution raising non-binary children dismantling everything else and I think that introduction perfectly sums up this idea of um polite persecution and I even said to you it has like a real tinge of you just know that's kind of like you know white middle class saying sweet things to your face, but then distancing themselves. But if we go right back to where you started that story, because I want to get onto that polite persecution in a moment, what was it like for you as a mother when your child started telling you, actually, mummy, I'm not a boy or a girl? What kind of thing, how did you feel? Where did you turn to? Good question. Um, Hi, by the way, and thank you for having me. (laughs) We're diving straight in here. Um, so I think, I mean, I do have to sort of hold my hands up and say that I was absolutely rubbish. Um, and I basically spent a year being like, it's just a phase, it'll pass. Um, What age were they when they started saying this to you? So they were probably somewhere between seven and eight. Hmm. Um, so it was, it was nearly a full year and it was when, um, I heard about the suicide ideation that I was like, okay this this phase stuff and this ignoring yeah. it and this just hoping that it'll go away this isn't working we're going to have to do something else um so yeah I was really lucky because my sister's daughter is also trans so we did have a little bit of an idea about mm. you know who you could speak to and you know who would be helpful and there are some very secret they have to be very secret online communities that you can join um for other parents of um, gender diverse children so they've been an absolute lifeline um but yeah at the start it was very much like 
oh, you know, I, you know, I didn't feel like I needed any help. It was just something yeah. that they were going through and it was all going to stop. You mentioned like, you know, it takes a village. And quite often when you do have children, the first thing you do is like, look for the other parents. Like you can share those, oh my God, they're not sleeping. And, you know, all of those other growth moments. But did you have those conversations with that air quotes village that you have around you at the time saying, oh, is your child mentioned anything like this? Or my child said this, what, how would you respond? I mean, were you like seeking, I suppose, advice or just sharing your thoughts on that? Um, or was it something you were just like, oh, I'll just ignore it? Yeah, I think it was more, it was, yeah, it was more that yeah. I was just ignoring it. And I would maybe sort of bring it up in, in a way that I would want to be agreed with. So I'd be like, oh, this is happening, but it's probably just a phase. So that, mm. so that the other person is really, it's really easy for them to be like, yeah, it probably is. And um, there certainly wasn't anybody else. There wasn't the anyone that said to you, actually, maybe this isn't a phase. People are yeah. very keen just to go, oh, no, it sounds like it yeah. to me. And and similarly, there was nobody else being like, oh, yeah, my child does that as well. Like, there was none of, there was yeah. none of that. It was definitely a singular event in the community <laughs> at the time. So let's go back then to this idea of polite persecution. Why did you choose that title for this essay? I think I wanted to make it very clear, and it says in the essay, um, it's just after the bit that I read, it, it, there's a, a bit that says, I would like to make it clear that there was no, let me just get it. I would like to state for the record that there were no pitchforks and no one has ever threatened to burn me. And, you know, the, there is real persecution, mm. um, you know, internationally uh, based on lots of things um, and people really do suffer. And yes, as a family, we've suffered, but there was no pitchforks and nobody threatened to burn us. So it, it was a, percus- a, a, percusion, a persecution of a kind. Um, mm. You know, it was a sort of very polite and mentally damaging um, persecution. Uh, and there was a lot of denial and a lot of gaslighting of me like oh you're just being paranoid and that's not what I meant and you know uh, and a lot of and the thing about microaggressions is that well they're microaggressions so it's really hard to be like well you said this thing and this means this mm. and they think you're making this huge massive leap and I, and I honestly wasn't as in the like a nutcase but I honestly wasn't you, you know as a parent yeah um, and I, I think those microaggressions, that was the word I was thinking, what's that word? Microaggressions, <laughs> they are so damaging, aren't they? Because they almost have you doubting yourself because they turn you into other. And a lot of the people that I've already interviewed on this book, it was, you know, it's very much about other. And when people don't understand other, it's like, we'll push them further away. And But I want to keep my world safe. I don't want to like step out of the boundaries of my world. So I'll shut you out instead. And yeah. that whole, oh no, you're just being sensitive or oh gosh, you know, I work mainly with women and a lot of the time it is that, oh, you're so emotional. Oh, you're so high maintenance. And it's all that kind of language, which actually is quite obvious. You know, that's a very obvious way of going, actually, no, (laughs) you know, I'm not on my period. I'm feeling very rational. This is actually how I feel. Yeah. And so I think even though that's annoying, it's obvious, but when you have that, oh no, I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. with the politeness over coffee or you know wine or whatever it is I think that's even harder to deal with so I'm, I almost want to ask you well I am going to ask you but the, the, the question that came through is like how do you keep your sanity when these people that were friends that you had loved their children and they had loved your children have suddenly almost like shuttered you out but pretending through the facade of 
Botox, do the facade <laughs> of no, darling. You know how how do you keep your sanity with that when your community have like almost turned you into that outcast energy, but still smiling at you, but not including you. Mm. I mean, you don't is the short answer. I mean, it mm. was very touch and go in terms of, I mean, I've never kept very well mentally anyway. Um, so it was a combination of realising that it was time to go and that actually, you know, that whole thing about, oh, running away doesn't solve your problems because you take them all with you, but realising that actually all the problems were in that yeah. area. So running away was going to solve them. Um, I don't, I and think, Yeah, I don't think you look at it as running away. I think it, Think, think you have to look at it as like consciously choosing to create a new community yeah mm-hmm. or, or just an absence of community it's like oh. <laughs> now, now a hermit um yeah and then also just relying on the people that were there like the sort of and you know that thing about you know when it's dark enough you can see the stars and they really shone brightly the people who were so supportive the people who had literally gone and read loads and loads of stuff about gender diverse kids and had gone come back to me and said look we didn't agree with you at first we thought Mm. that they were too young we've now done the reading you've done absolutely the right thing and you know we're sorry that we ever kind of thought that you didn't and then of course you know my family my three older sisters we had a whole Facebook thread that was literally called educating ourselves and that was where all the trans articles went and you know it's here's this study and this study and this study I mean it's really difficult because there's so much misinformation out there and mm. um, so you really have to sort of make sure what you're reading is peer-reviewed and you know it doesn't come from a transphobic um, uh, organization for example so yeah what do you think is the the biggest misinformation that you came across while you were like navigating your way through this and learning more I think there was one time that I googled some I must have googled trans children or something and the first thing that came up the first google result was a uh, an organization called transgender trend and just to be clear to your listeners transgender trend are a transphobic organization who are putting out misinformation in an attempt to erase trans children that's what they do they literally will make school resources and send them to schools for free in the hope that they will be taught in schools. Like it's really horrible, horrible stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like actual misinformation, there's so much, mm. there's so many things that people say, uh, you know, on on Twitter, especially, it's an absolute toilet wall. Um, uh, but yeah, and then the, I suppose that the most shocking thing that people have said to me or, and, and not often, um, this idea that you know your child is going to have a, a surgical a surgical re- gender reassignment and again just to be clear for your listeners nobody is getting no children are getting surgery no children under the age of 16 are getting anything that isn't reversible and even if they do get you know reversible highly safe puberty blocking medication you have to fight tooth and claw for that on the NHS as well it's taken us four years at the gender identity clinic to get them to be like, actually, yes, you do need puberty blocking medication because that's what's best for your mental health. Um, so, you know, this absolute panic that people are hacking up children and, and providing them with reversible. And, you know, and, and they do it on purpose. They use those words yeah. on purpose to make mothers, especially especially mothers, mm. go, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. And 
Yes, it would be terrible if it was not accurate. If it was happening. Yes, if it, yes. Was, if it was happening, it would be terrible. It's not happening. So. Yes, maybe they should turn their attention to things like FGM instead of, you know, that's a real thing that's happening to young children. But anyway, that's for another topic. Um, so how has school, I'd like to, I was going to use the word embraced, but maybe hopefully. Depends on the school. <laughs> and the school they're at now, have you found a school that is? Yeah, an know, amazing, amazing school. Brilliant. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> let's, have a, let's have a bit of a yes those schools are out there that's fantastic so something I wanted to talk about and I mentioned this before is there's a there's a like a sentence in your book and ever since I've read your chapter it's just sat with me and I'm just going to read it out here and it says some women have a special way of breaking those other women that threaten their ordered existence they have learned it from the witch burners they are descended from and it's that line, they've learned it from the witch burners they're descended from, that really made me think about that meme that's it's on T-shirts, it's on mugs, it's everywhere. And it's like, you know, we are the children of the witches you couldn't burn. And it had me think, it's like, yeah, but are you? <laughs> or are you actually, or we, I should, you know, let's include myself mm-hmm. too. But are we the witch burners that we descended from? And it was like, you know, where do we still hold that energy of othering other people or not including other people because we might say but I'm not mean to these people or I'm very inclusive and it's like yeah but are you mm-hmm. you know and I think it's I think what your chapter does so well is get us to just really question how inclusive am I being really you know and you know, no, none of us would like to say, oh, yes, I'm persecuting. But I'm sure that your your old community were like, oh, no, we still invited her to the bake sale. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, that's super generous of you. Um, <laughs> you know, and it and it's like just because you're still being air quotes nice to someone doesn't actually mean you're having the warmth of connection or having empathy for that person or supporting that person or, you know, I think we're living in this weird time right now where we we kind of think that we have to agree with absolutely everything that someone else is experiencing. And it's like, you don't even have to agree, but you can still help someone. You can still mm. like, oh my God, I've loved your children forever. What mm-hmm. can I do? Like the friends that did go and read and did go and educate themselves. And of course, we will always hold space for people that are open to learning. Yes, we're always going to make mistakes. I still make mistakes all the time now, but I do what I can to try and correct them. Yeah, you, know, you do your best and it's like I think like you said those people came and apologized and said and this is what we've done to make it better you know this is how we've made amends so talk to me about that that idea of like the witch burners that they're descended from and where that came from because like I say it was really powerful when I read that I was like oh yeah we don't talk about that side of things do we we just want the empowering <laughs> we survived and it's like yeah but why <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean I think I think white middle-class women um, are and, and I would include I would absolutely include myself in that are quite mm-hmm. attached to victimhood um, and actually white middle class women are not if you're going to talk about what do I call it now diversity points <laughs> which is a terrible way of saying it so 
but you you're not high I'm sorry as a white middle class woman you're not high on diversity points you know mm-hmm. there are so many people that are are you know worse off than you in in lots of different ways and lots of different intersecting ways and I think you know I, I I'm trying to sort of dismantle like some of the things about race and um like slavery and stuff I listen to a lot of American podcasts so um and my descendants are from Russia so I was kind of like well I probably we probably didn't have slaves but we probably had serfs or do you know what I mean like mm. people that lived on the land and worked the land or something um and and I think it, it's really important to acknowledge acknowledge your prejudices but also nobody wants to do that Nobody wants mm. to be told that they're transphobic. Nobody wants to be told that they're racist. And if you're the person that goes around in the world saying, by the way, that was a little bit racist, like nobody is ever going to make friends with you for that. They just, people don't like it. They don't, it's like you say, they don't want to be called out for being mean. And that's why the persecution has to be polite. And like you say, you still have to smile and you still have to invite them to places and pretend that everything's fine because otherwise you can be called out for this. Yeah. You know, this, terrible thing I mean statistically to go back specifically to the we are the granddaughters of the witches that you couldn't burn it's unlikely you know I think a lot of the witches were you know childless by um by choice and that was one of the reasons that they were persecuted you know and it just seems much more likely that these white middle class women who are like oh yes we're related to the witches that you couldn't burn like that they're just not I mean, um, Claire Askew, who's one of the editors of this book, actually is descended from a witch that was actually, like, she can literally trace her line. Mm. So, but she's literally the only person I know who could actually hold that that claim. Um, but it does, it just sort of smacks as, um, smacks of white girl tears, which is another sort of American thing. She's sort of like, you know, when a white girl bursts out crying and everybody rushes to, you know, oh, what's the matter? What's the matter? What yeah. else? You know, and it's it's a really effective, which I've used in the past, absolutely, 100%. It's a really effective way to stop what's happening and stop any um, blame being directed towards yourself because you're the one that's crying. Um, but I, I don't think it's very effective if you're, you know, of a minority gender or a person of colour. Like, I, yeah, it, I don't think it works. I don't think it works as well. I assume not anyway. So you mean the tears? <laughs> the tears, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, the tears, tears are a powerful thing, aren't they? Oh, but I didn't mean it that mm-hmm. way. She's- yeah, and now I'm upset, so everybody has to stop. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I was, yeah. It's it's interesting. I, I, I've kind of like steeled myself up to people's tears, I think, because when I work in session with people, people often cry. Um, not not because I mean. Look at me straight away. Oh, protect! Not because I mean. I don't make people cry. But when when they're releasing stuff, people cry, and I'm just like, I see you're crying, and I'm just going to carry on <laughs> because I'm like, tears are a really good way of releasing things. You know, I'm like, if you work with me, you're going to laugh or you're going to cry. It's like often often too. Both, yeah, yeah, often, often <laughs> the both because that's just a really quick way of working with them. But you're right. Usually if people cry, it's like when I first started working in the way that I work with people like 20 something years ago, if someone was crying, I was, I'd be like, oh, sh- oh my God, what do I do? And I was just like, oh, I'll just carry on <laughs> as if I'm just going to ignore it. Not because I was being mean, but because I, you know, it's just, I just accept that as part of the process. Yeah. But yeah, when you read about particularly racism and white women tears, it's really powerful, isn't it? About those mm-hmm. tears. Absolutely. And it doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't 
open or encourage conversation or learning oh, it, or it interrupts the learning it's deliberate yeah. I mean it, it's like I say it's deliberate it's not because del- I've literally have done it in the past especially as a child oh my goodness never mm. got in trouble at primary school because I just cried um, and it's it doesn't feel deliberate so it's really mm. really deeply ingrained but yeah I think the thing about like just letting people cry and carrying on it's actually so much more healthy because if you're crying and like you say, you're releasing something, I mean, there was a long time where I couldn't cry at all, um, mm. but it, it's so good for you. And if, if you stop and you interrupt that process, then you're interrupting this thing that still needs to come out. So because there are chemicals in tears that are actually very good for um, releasing and stress and things like that. So crying is actually, you know, it is an important thing, but it's when it's weaponized. Yeah. And that's, I mean, everyone, everyone, crying is good. Don't stop crying, people. Yes, we're crying. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Cry, we're, cry, yeah. cry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like that kind of like idea of like weaponized crying to, like, if you've learned that if I cry, like sometimes if I get really overwhelmed and I'm just like, oh, I will cry. Even if I'm talking to someone, I can feel the tears flowing. And I'm like, but that's just how I'm having to process this moment. And I'm still going to carry on, you know, like if you've had a, like a misunderstanding or something with people, mm-hmm. but it's not there, like, I don't know, it's, it's just leaking from my face rather than stopping and wanting all the attention on me. So how do you navigate that from like your perspective? Sorry, navigate which thing? Um, like the tears, the shutdown, the, you know, the, the distancing of people. Oh, um, well, run, running away has, has proved to be very effective. Um, I would highly recommend it for anybody. Removing um, yourself from a toxic situation. Removing yourself from a toxic situation. Yeah. It was quite expensive, but it was mm. worth it. Um, and I think my partner's like, oh, you're so angry all the time. Why are you so angry all the time? And I'm like, you literally spent tens of thousands of pounds to get away from these people, and I'm not allowed to be angry about it. It was only like mm. three years ago. Um, and, and then the other the sort of other side of that is like the amount of support that I'm getting from, the, you know, these bright lights. Um so I, I would like to mention the mermaids. I also um, name check mermaids in the essay. Uh, the mermaids organisation are the only organisation in the UK that support trans children and their parents. Um, and the spin-off Facebook groups, just people who are literally going through the same things. And like we were saying about the microaggressions, they they understand what you mean. You know, when you're mm. sort of like, well, this thing happened, they're like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. And lots of, you know, really good information sharing. Like this is a really good resource if you need to go to the school about this thing. And mm. here's a good way to talk to people about overnight trips for school and, you know, toilets and changing rooms and all this stuff. And just, you know, giving people, I'm all very much about giving people the scripts. Yeah. Um, and I do this with my children as well. I'm like, well, maybe you could, you know, say it this way, just so that they've got an idea about, because it can be really difficult in the moment, I think, to find words to use. Um, but yeah, um, th- I think those two things—the sort of withdrawing from the thing, withdrawing as much as possible from what's toxic, and going towards as much as possible what's healing and what's what's felt like community—and I, I always laugh when people are like, "Oh, I, I've come off social media because it's just so toxic," and I'm like, "Well, that's lovely. I'm really happy for you. I can't come off social media. There is no way that mm. you can have a community of parents of trans children if you're not online." Like. We, we don't all live within a five mile radius so um no longer yeah. that gathering in the kitchen mm. no yeah yeah the cake consumption is way down 
mermaiduk.org.uk is the website we'll put that in the show notes for people cool. as well Thank you. mermaiduk.org.uk um so th- there's two things there removing yourself from toxic situation as you call running away but uh, i don't know that feels, doesn't quite feel as big to me um but uh, and it is that thing isn't it it's like oh if you run away all your problems will go with you and again you talk in your chapter actually about like memeology. You don't use that word, but like the memification of life, and it is, isn't it? It's like it's very bumper stickery, and it. Yes, your problems will go with you, but let's make you safe so you can deal with those problems, rather than keeping you somewhere where you are unsafe. Thinking that's well, we'll just love and light our way out of this, and you know, do the work while we're in that situation. And it's like, well, actually, that might not be the safest thing for your family to do because you know your children are still children. Mm, they still absolutely. need that protection they need to feel included and loved and accepted because what child doesn't let alone mm-hmm. what adult mm-hmm. so i think that that's an important thing when we when we say like oh running away that you know you shouldn't have to do that it's like well no you shouldn't have to but if you have the resources <laughs> and you can that might be the best thing because obviously yeah. there will be some people that can't yeah and then yeah, it's totally. like what they can do for that and so yeah we you use the phrase running away, but were you made to feel like it was like the wrong decision to do and that you should have stayed and you should have made people change their mind or were people supportive of you moving? I think that was more a sort of self-sabotaging inner voice. Um, you know, the inner critic can be your absolute worst nightmare. So, mm. yeah. And I, and like you say, because it's, it's a meme, because it's the phrase, you know, it's the first thing that you think of you know, I can be terribly hard on myself. Um, So, yeah, I think the people around me at the time were very much like, no, this is absolutely the right decision. Mm. And I think, as you were saying about, you know, your children need to be safe, it made it easier in a way. If it had just been us, if it had just been me and my partner, then, you know, maybe we would have, if the kids had been fine, we probably would have stayed. But when you're, you know, it's like when your children are not safe, you're just like yeah no okay all bets are off we're 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 going yeah no absolutely oh my goodness I remember going to pick my little boy up from school once I think he was like six or seven at the time and it was I don't know play they always seem to on breaks but they want to break and he was just sat on a bench by himself and my heart was like oh my god are you okay and 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 all it was because when I asked him later on, I was like, "Were you okay at break time?" You know, all he did was sit on a bench by himself. You know, it's hardly dramatic, but clearly for me, it was like, "Oh my god, abandonment stuff coming up and like being rejected." And I said, "Why?" He's like, "No one was playing a game I wanted to play, so I just sat on a bench." <laughs> and it was just like the most normal thing in the world. But my heart was like, "Oh my god, he's been excluded." And yeah, you know, you face that in a reality. And mine was like a three second, like why is he sat on a bench by himself um so yeah definitely mama mm. heart there isn't it if like yeah. anyone even looks at your child in a funny way <laughs> my mama bear comes out what are they doing and it's like Rebecca they're eight but it's just part it's of the probably fine or possibly fine <laughs> yeah yeah we got a lot of um your child is removing themselves that they're removing themselves they're oh. not trying to make friends I'm like are, are they that's interesting okay why do mm. we think why do we think that is because people are being mean yeah people are being mean because they can't be bothered risking it again you know um but yeah it's fine we did actually move we moved them primary schools um 
before we moved house and actually the second primary school was really fantastic it was Mm. lovely because they're non-binary and it was one of those tiny little village schools with like two classes or something two classes get it yeah two classes that's so So, twee no it was adorable (laughs) um so there was I think there was were there six or seven p7 so that's like the last year before high school and there were literally three girls and three boys and because my child was there they all and I don't think at p7 it's very it becomes quite segregated between boys and girls what age is p7 do. p7 is like uh, 11 12 okay 10, 11 yeah. 12 um but because my non-binary child was there you know they were all like one big group yeah and I was like you're welcome <laughs> to all the parents like yeah see see what my child did and it was amazing for them to go to go from they're removing themselves they're not socializing to mm. this child is essentially now being the cohesion between this whole group and keeping everybody in and included and I'm like yeah that's actually what they're like not not what you guys said yes and we had this conversation just before didn't we and um about kids just don't care they care when they have learned to care and I was I was sharing like I was sat in the hammock with my little boy when he I don't know he's like six or seven and he went mommy can boys have babies and I was like oh where's this come from and and you know so in a very unelegant but very like high level way I was just like well yeah it is possible and explained why when it would be possible and he's like okay then can we go and play Mario Kart and it was just like no big deal at all it's like I just told him bananas were yellow you know yeah. it was just like totally accepting of that and it's like yeah okay yeah and the, and the next generation they just they're mm. not gonna they just don't care they, they genuinely don't care they own they get it from they get it from home it comes from the parents and we were really lucky when we did move schools the, t- the teacher um I was like so do you think there'll be people in the community that might you know find it a bit of an issue and she just went no, I don't think so. And if they do, then there's legislation that we can use to make sure that they was like, I like you. I think they'll come <laughs> <laughs> But it's just that, that absolute like, no, we're not tolerating any of that because mm. you know, everybody has a right to be safe and everybody has a right to be safe in school. Yeah. Um, and it's that absolute zero tolerance that that we desperately needed um, and now have in high school for my oldest, thank God, um, which yeah. is fantastic. Has high school been different? space to navigate than primary school yes um I mean I think I don't think I know that uh, my oldest was traumatized obviously um by the primary school experience by the gender mm-hmm. identity clinic experience by uh, the moving house experience by the losing all of their friends that they've had since they were three experience um so there was a there was a time in high school where they really just needed to process that. Yeah. So they did spend most of their first year in the bathroom at lunchtime and break time. And very unlike me, uh, not to panic, <laughs> um, but I was like, they're at school. They're going to their classes. Mm-hmm. That has to be enough. They're safe. They're telling me if anything happens and I'm telling the teachers and the teachers are dealing with it and they're dealing with it every single time I rang up and said, mm. this person misgendered my child and they were literally on it the next day, which is amazing. Um, you know, in a school of like a thousand kids. Um, wow, that's quite different from a class of like five. Yeah. But then last year, 
they emerged from the bathrooms, finally started talking to this poor girl who had been trying to make friends with them since literally the first day. And now they're absolute besties. They've got, no. They were off. They, they skived off on Monday. You know when they do that thing? I don't know if your son does this. <laughs> I'm not oh, feeling very well. Yeah, he's tried that once. And I'm like, you know, if you want a day off school, just ask. Don't do the fakeness. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I'm really good at working out when they're ill or not. And I'm not. I'm just rubbish. I'm absolutely rubbish at it. You look so, through, like, love her eyes. <laughs> My child would never do that. Oh, my God. You should have a day off. And their phone was blowing up. People were like, why aren't you at school? We've forgotten what you look like. Get oh, back to school. Why aren't you in? Yeah. And it was just, I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not crying. I'm crying. <laughs> You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, they have a really That's nice brilliant. friendship group now um, and are absolutely flying. Absolutely flying. It's amazing. So, clearly you were a phenomenal advocate for your children and I know in the book you talked about like witchcraft and like tarot and how that kind of gave you that that power and that way to navigate all of that how did that come about for you um well so Claire who I mentioned earlier um Mm -hmm. her and Alice do like witchy witchy school classes which school my partner called it helpfully yeah um and they do did or do um, a tarot course and I thought well do you know it'd be really nice to know what all the tarot means because then I can use all that imagery in my poetry and I'll be this really rich you know thing that I can draw on because I can use quite a lot of like biblical references because I grew up with the bible and Christian Mm. household blah 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 but it'd be really nice to have you know a different sort of set of and it's all very image-based as well so off I went to my tarot class thinking that I was going to, you know, sit apart and be very academic. And then, of course, got absolutely hooked into it. And like it is, and I say in, in the book as well, like it's it's a power that I find really terrifying because that's how we were brought up to, you know, with all the omen mm. films and people doing Ouija boards and these terrible stories that you would hear. And I remember my mum is actually ordained as a priest in the church of, well, she was ordained in the Episcopal church, just like the Church of England. Um, and I remember some kids from our school came to her door because they'd done some thing. And we were never, you know, it was the lack of the detail. <laughs> Um, and, and I remember mum's, I was like, why did they, why did those boys turn up? And she was like, oh, they just given themselves a bit of a fright. And it was the lack of detail in this that was just like, oh my, don't get anywhere near a Ouija board. You never, you might have to go and visit a priest. Um, <laughs> and, you know, formative horror film watching, never a good idea. Um, but it was very difficult to be like, oh, this is just a pack of cards when you have literally drawn the same card for like five people in a row. I did readings for my friend who was staying at the weekend and my partner who is coming around actually and myself and I drew the chariot for all of us. And then last night I was looking up in the mystical year and the the tarot card for June is the chariot. And I'm just like, it's really creepy, but I'm kind of into it. I love that. I'm a little bit scared, but give me more. <laughs> <laughs> you thrill seeker. <laughs> Not at all like me. <laughs> and how did you use that to, like, to kind of like support you or call back that power to, I mean, a lot of your story, you relate to 
like that othering of the witches and how you say, well, there were never actual pitchforks. There was very much like to the edges of community. And so maybe that edges, hedges, um, is because you said about the hedge witch. See what you you? did there. Mm, Well, that's (laughs) where it comes from. Yeah, it's it's where it comes from. It's where the word hag comes from as well. Hag is like the hedge witch. Mm. Oh. I love the word hag um, <laughs> I love all the words that have been used derogatory <laughs> Yes to the witch, yes to the hag Yes to the hag um, Yeah, yes to crone <laughs> I was like, oh, I love the crone energy I like crone um, Yeah, it's like I want my hair to get super grey I mean, it's, <laughs> it's very much there But I'm like, I want it like proper, proper grey So I want yes, to embrace that fully um, But how did you, like obviously you identified with that energy that archetypal energy and how did you bring that into your daily life to help you navigate? Cause I know you talked about like light- lighting a blue candle for justice and mm-hmm. just got- those moments of, Oh man, there it is burning now. Just ah, she drops some wax all over I'm herself. Still <laughs> all over myself. It's a shame. Well, this have a look is at not it. a film. No, ha- no, have a look at the, um, what the, I've got the pattern and just have a look. What's like, Oh, what's the message right now? <laughs> okay, I can't help. Like, oh, find the symbolism. Find the symbolism. <laughs> So this is your witchcraft journey. It's getting your attention by burning you. (laughs) It's like, pay attention. You are a witch. Claim that energy. But like, how did you use like, because the way that I love, like I've read that you read the cards and the candles. I love to do those things, like to have those rituals to bring me what I've um, learned as the term, the sacred pause. And that's just a moment to stop. It's like when the whole world is going around you, your friends are stepping away from you. You're having this air quotes, polite persecution going on. You're like, I don't even know where to turn for my children. And then you bring in these moments of take, taking a pause, a sacred moment to connect with yourself, to pull a card. What is the message right now? To light a candle. I don't know what else to do right now. <laughs> Let's light a candle. And I, I find those kind of processes, whether you call them witchcraft, whether you call them ritual, anything very anchoring and it just brings us back to the moment and it just helps us to step out of the noise that overwhelm the confusion the the anger that you mentioned and just have a even if it's a moment even if it's a glimmer of a moment to connect with yourself and from that place you can muddle your way forward rather than feeling like I guess I often see them like an anchor so you know when you like um throw an anchor in whatever you do with an anchor cuff Overboard, whatever. Drop, drop anchor. That's what. Drop anchor. That'll drop be anchor. It. Oh my God, I, I grew up in Cornwall. I totally failed that, didn't I? <laughs> drop anchor. And um, the waves don't. It doesn't keep the boat still because if you got a bigger wave, it would go over the boat. But what it does, it keeps it in one place and allows the boat to bob up and down with the tide. So it's not about finding that absolute stillness, but mm-hmm. it's about keeping you centered and grounded. And I think that's what those moments do. But I mean, how did how did you use those t- those moments for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think like as we were talking before um, we, re- we were recording this morning um, and I was talking about ritual and how I'm just kind of like making it up. Um, and, you know, I do have all this like past sort of churchy mm-hmm. sort of history. So, you know, I mean, there's candles there as well. So. Um, but w- when we moved into this house, I was adamant that I wanted to do like a thing um, yeah. uh, to just, me- I mean, mostly sort of a protection thing. And my friend, my other friend, Linda, is a, an independent celebrant. So she agreed to come and do like a 
new holding um, mm. ritual with with and for us. Um, and we kind of worked out what we were going to do together. Uh, and we, you know, we did some. I'm trying to remember what we did now. I think we put we put salt at the door and we rattled things in the corners. And I'd looked up stuff, you know, like Scottishy things that you know people do in new homes and stuff. So we just sort of pulled things from various different places, and it really was like a super special day. And it mm. made us, it made me feel like you know, like you say, that grounding, that sort of momentary grounding. Because I mean, as somebody with children, I mean, good luck trying to actually find stillness. Because there's just, <laughs> there's no danger. I mean, you might be able to drop anchor and bob up and down a little bit, but you're, you're not going to achieve any, like, karmic stillness. There's no enlightenment on the way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, I, and I, ha- I hadn't really thought about it, but the action of lighting a candle is, like, amazing. Like, it's an amazing amount for, for what it actually it physically is. Mm-hmm. It brings an amazing amount of, like, peace and joy and, like, stillness into my um environment so yeah big into candles we have especially kelps have been obsessed by fire for the longest time the more we can bring fire into our rituals the happier we are look at every sabbat there's like fire let's light a fire let's have a bonfire Uh, let's burn stuff um (laughs) did you burn for the solstice last night i burn all the time any excuse (laughs) I'm like, I'll write something and burn it. I'll burn it to release it. I'll burn it to send it out into the universe. Aww. I love it. Slightly yeah. obsessed by cauldrons. And I'm lucky that where I live, I've got outdoor space that I can burn very, very yeah, safely. Because yeah. safety first, which is what I was like to say. Yes. <laughs> Please don't be Absolutely. burning it. Absolutely. Don't burn. And but, don't burn your barbecues on the grass because you spoil the grass. Yes. Too um, hot at the moment. <laughs> Whoever thought I'd say that in the UK. But yeah, anytime I can burn, smoke, burn, flames, fire, candle. Yes, I love it. Um, (laughs) This will put you on the spot. Um, I don't expect you to truly remember. (laughs) She's like, oh no, what are you going to ask me? But what Scottish magic did you find for like house protection? Can you remember anything you did that was like quintessentially Scottish or something that you'd learned from Scottish magic? No, I can't, like I couldn't possibly like (laughs) separate which Google website I was on yeah. for which thing there was definitely there was rattling keys and, and Ooh, pots keys. and pans yeah. especially in the corners because that yeah. you know if there's anything hanging around in the corners there was, was it salt at the door I'm sure it was but that'll yeah. be everything won't it that's yeah. in hocus pocus little we woman. love we love a bit of salt <laughs> magic of salt. and I love I always say that I'm, I love that you use the pots and pans because I have a, like a really nice little drum that I get my I used to get my little boy to do like in the corners of the house because oh. they love that. But I'm like, if you don't have a drum, get a pot and pan, you know, yes. and bang them together or a wooden spoon and cr- it's just break up that energy. That's yeah, just stagnant energy. Yeah. I remember another thing, and I don't know if it was Scottish, but we did put our cat in the house first. Cat was the oh. first thing to go in. Yeah. I'll re look it up and send you the link. I guess yeah, cats are very good at um recognizing sensitive energies so whether they would have avoided something or gravitated to something or maybe it was just a polite maybe it's just yeah so that the cat is where they think you know they because they think Mm. they own the house anyway so they might as well (laughs) I I recently got a puppy and it's the opposite (gasps) you have to walk into the house first to let them know who's boss (laughs) yes I'm not winning I'm not winning oh you know (laughs) Uh you need to start your dominance I do I'm like come on do you not know who I am (laughs) and the puppy's like yeah whatever 
off he goes. So yeah, adorable. Um, okay. Love that you're protecting the house. Love that you did all that because I, I again, it's it's just the act of declaring to the world, this is my sacred space. You're doing it for yourself, your children, your family, your community, and the energetics. It's like, this is our sacred space now. You know, it's taken you a lot of time, energy, resources, and money to be able to create that. And it's like, yes, this is this is the place. And it sounds like everything settled around you quite nicely, you know, like the, the schooling and everything. In your book, you talk about, um, in fact, we, and we mentioned this a moment ago as well, actually, the left wing not being safe, a safe space for you, where you would traditionally think the left wing would be more accepting. You talk about feminism not being a safe space. And again, you would think that as a mother, as a woman yourself, it's like they would embrace you and be like, we have you, you know, let, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. The middle class not being a safe space. And you would, again, you would think they're a resourced community. You're not actually a threat to them. So they could be more inclusive, obviously not. And we even talked about some witch spaces not mm. being a safe space. Um, you mentioned like, like one of the talks you did. Mm. A, was, was it a non-binary witch? A non-binary saying, witch was saying that like, yeah. I, I, assu- I assumed that they meant online spaces, but maybe not. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, both. But, but again, yeah. it's, it's a, people would often think about a witch community online or in person being more inclusive inclusive of air quotes people identifying as something other mm-hmm. yeah you know not just being like that you know I don't even know what average would be these days but <laughs> that space so how was that for you to feel removed from everything that had felt safe for you before and how do you navigate that because of course there's this whole part with your family where your mama heart is like my children <laughs> this oh, yeah. is you know of wanting to do that of advocating but there's also you as an adult in your own right mm-hmm. going these are where I have grown up my entire life yeah you know, for a few decades um <laughs> where you have felt included part of the community maybe never even questioned the things that you then had to start questioning but what was that like for you as a person Mm. I mean, it was big tower energy, I think, you know, everything had to come mm. down. Everything really had to come down. And and as in the tower, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up with a wasteland. There's still a foundation there and you just have to build it up. I mean, it was very humbling to realise that, you know, if I was feeling excluded from these places as a white cis het woman, you know, other people are also excluded from these places. You know, my children would not be welcome in these places. Mm. Um, it's yeah, it was it was really. I was going to say it was really interesting. That's probably one of the words for it. Um, That's my word when I don't actually have the words to explain things. So I'm like it's interesting, interesting, yeah. but, but freaking um, hard too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But then, you know, that realisation that actually some people deal with us all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can, I was thinking about this today, I can take the rainbow shoelaces out of my shoes and go into town and walk around as if I don't have trans children. Because I don't, you know, I don't look other, I don't sound other, my skin is not other. So, you know, I still live with a lot of privilege. Um. But yeah, there are there are places, I mean, feminism especially, it really, it really hurts. You know, I've always considered myself a feminist. And to think that there's people who are walking around being like, I'm a super good feminist. And that feminism is 
trans people don't exist you know non-binary children shouldn't be protected like you know it, it's really awful I, and lots of people like to you know this sort of well, there's not that many of them there's not that many of them I'm like maybe there is maybe there isn't it's hard to tell because of the feminists of, you mean yeah of they're now calling themselves yeah. gender critical feminists um you know there's there's maybe not that many of them there's a lot of them in power there's a lot of them in media and um, so it does sort of tip the balance a little bit um and similarly you know the left wing always been pretty lefty hippie <laughs> communist as i like to say um and you know there's no newspapers that you can read that don't have like mean trans stuff in them you know mm. the guardian is especially bad um but so is the Daily Express. So, like, do you just not read a newspaper anymore? What do you do? Um, what do you do? I still read The Guardian. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be our secret. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I still read The Guardian. Um, and complain about it. That's what I do. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's sort of like you have to work out when you can participate and keep yourself safe from the parts of the participation that are going to be difficult. Um, and, you know, if maybe you just want to do the quick crossword on a Saturday and that's okay. You know, mm. um, I don't, I don't stand by their terrible transphobic journalism, but then neither does the Guardian US. I mean, when your sister paper in another country is literally like, guys, seriously, we need to quit with this. Um, you really should be asking questions. I suppose it goes back to the, you know, are you really the granddaughters of the witches that they couldn't burn? Or have you just made that up in your little head? Or are you the descendants of the witch burners? <laughs> so you've been in that space for a few years. Have you noticed a change in society's attitudes towards this at all in the time that you've been there? Or do you feel it's moving a very large ship very, very slowly? It's really difficult to parse that because my children are older mm. and I think there's more acceptance that a teenager will at least experiment and people are okay with it. Whereas right. an actual child, yeah. people are a bit like, oh, it's too early. It's too early. They're just babies. And it's like, well, they're not. They're sentient beings that are separate from you. Um, I think in the US, things are absolutely going backwards and I don't think oh, that really? helps lots of anti-trans legislation I can't remember which state it is but they're they're Texas. actually well there's what yeah I mean mostly um but there's one state where they've brought in legislation where they will actually check your genitalia before you participate in sport I'm not kidding what I know Why are you it's disgusting. Children's bodies. I know, and it's like, and they say that trans yeah, people, the well, perverts, creepy. Like, I don't think so. Weird obsession with children's bodies. Very oh strange. my gosh, I don't know how I'd feel if someone said to me, "I want to check your what you're telling me as a boy to see." He doesn't even let me see his willy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's he's very. Yeah. It's like I'm not having. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the whole. Not that I'm asking to see it. I just want to ask. But yeah, when he's in the shower or something, or getting changed, he's like, "Mummy, I'm like, oh, sorry, darling." Um, you know. Um. <laughs> yeah, the sport thing is like a huge issue at the moment, and uh, mm. uh, trans healthcare as well as being literally outlawed in various states. And I think the UK very much looks to the US. I was going to say, and how are we doing in the UK? Any better or? 
No. Sorry, I'm shaking my head, which is not very helpful on a podcast. <laughs> so I'll tell uh, people what you're doing. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I mean, the, the gender identity clinics are uh, an absolute nightmare. Um, even is that because they're under resourced and not enough of them, or just because they're just. But even when you box. get in the door, it's really weird. Like the yeah. things that they're asking you. So they literally ask you, like, about your experience of childbirth, like, as if that's in any way relevant to the gender of your child. It's really very odd. What the, Sorry, the I'm laughing, but I'm just like, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I always happy to talk about my childbirth story. It's a great story. But do you know, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. So we are currently on our one, two, third and fourth psychologist. Um, the Scottish Gender Identity Clinic, Clinic is called Sandyford. We're on our third and fourth psychologist. The first one said yes, went on mater- maternity leave. The second one said no. Uh, we put in a complaint. It was refused. He reported us for social to social services, which I believe was an act of aggression. Uh, he then left, and the third and fourth one uh, took six months to admit that they would even put puberty blockers on the table. And last week, finally, after four years, said that they would work towards uh, a prescription for puberty blocking medication. I mean, this is life saving, like world, like. All people who, everybody who is working actually academically, medically in the world on this issue would say puberty blocking medication is safe. It's mm. exactly the right thing to do for gender diverse people. Um, it, it's completely reversible. You know, it's not doing any harm. And oh my goodness, the hoops that you have to jump through. And that's when you get in the waiting list just now, Rebecca, four years. At least three oh years. Gosh. I think it's now four you imagine waiting for anything else for that long? It's beyond belief. It's like if you needed HRT as a as a woman of a certain, a certain age, age, of a certain age, <laughs> and you, someone said you have to wait four years. It's you like need it by then. You're too late. You'd be a puddle on the floor, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, and it's like. We just wouldn't stand for that. As, mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you think it, oh. about a, a nine-year-old who's having suicidal ideation yeah, and, and the idea that they would then have to wait another four years for the thing that is going to help, like 100% is proven to help. But your language is just like it's taken them four years to say it's even on the table. It's like you don't even have the script in your hand right now. It's like, but, no, I still but again, it's like that, yes then it's a no, then it's a, mm, we're not sure. Actually, now we're going to take you to social services. Oh no, now you can have it, but we're not telling you when. And it's like, I don't like to use the word trauma loosely, mm. but it's like, that is a traumatic event to think, yes, we've got it. Someone's on our side. And now, they're not. And, now they're and now they, and now, and it's just like, oh, goodness me. <laughs> no wonder the tarot Same. comes out. <laughs> what are we doing now? <laughs> Wipe that candle, <laughs> sprinkle that salt. Yes. Yeah, seven of wands all the way. Is it seven of wands? That's the fighting one, isn't it? With the giant. I always think of him as a giant. <laughs> Look at you getting... I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So where do you go forward from here? Oh, there's a good question. Um, I I still parent. I, I don't like parenting teenagers. I thought I'd be really good at that because I'm very much like, hi, I'm reading a book. Go and entertain yourself. Like, that's absolutely my parenting style. But I find I do not like 
I'm going out with my friends. I will be back later. Like, I'm not keen on that at all. So that's been another interesting, like, unpeeling of the layers of oneself. Mm. We're always learning. Um, And then my youngest is starting high school this August. So that'll be another whole thing to worry about. (laughs) Won't that be fun? Um, And I, you know, I'm writing. I'm, I'm writing through my trauma. I now have a therapist, which I think is a very good idea. Um, and I'm hoping to just find a better balance. Because when you're doing appointment after appointment after appointment mm. and trying to like advocate, 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 there's no time for anything else. Um, it'd be really nice to actually have some time for creative practice that maybe wasn't all like, I'm so angry about everything, which is like basically all my poems at the moment are just like very badly veiled rants about things um see I I think we demonize anger but actually I think it's a really healthy emotion I mean obviously not when it is directed to hurt yourself or someone else that is not the anger I'm talking about but that anger creates fire within us it creates change and I often say if I ask someone like how you're doing if I have like two people in front of me and someone's like oh yeah it's fine I'm like, I'm not interested in working with that person. If someone tells me I am really, really annoyed, (laughs) watching my language, I'm like, brilliant, roll my sleeves up, let's go. We can get to work with that anger because fire absolutely can destroy and raise things to the ground, but Mm. it also gives us the ability to transform, to forge, to create something new. So I love that you're even putting that into your poetry because I think there is a lot of anger in the world and I think particularly women are taught to don't be angry what is it your time of the month and that just adds an extra you know kerosene to the fire mm. and you know we're taught that anger is a bad thing and actually i think obviously um anger to harm self or other that's not what i'm talking about but when we feel that fire in our belly we mm. have that moment to go okay what's value of mine has been violated what boundary has been crossed what in my life is not working right now well let's do this you know and sometimes that let's do this could be crying could be asking for help could be having a cup of tea could be ranting writing poetry Mm -hmm. but I think we have to stop demonizing the kind of anger that is justified there's um I first came across this term sacred anger oh she was a tarot writer I need to ingrain her name in my name I can't remember her right now and um I thought sacred anger I was like wow yes because it can be sacred or that idea of righteous rage someone Mm -hmm. else told me the term righteous rage and I'm like yes you deserve to feel angry it's okay to feel angry when it's like warranted and when we can channel that to be like right NHS you're getting five letters today (laughs) you know and I'm writing to the guardian and I'm gonna go into school and I'm moving we don't do that if everything is oh it's fine it's fine it's fine it's just how people are fine no one changes anything under the energy of change under the energy of fine Mm -hmm. get that anger if you can use it instead of treasuring it I think I think the issue is that I sort of am very good at holding it I'm just keeping it keeping it and keeping my victimhood as well you know like Mm. oh poor me you know isn't it terrible and and I get loads of sympathy it's easy to justify that as well though isn't it oh I'm not surprised it must have been so hard for you but equally it's like like, warrior lady let's go (laughs) 
<laughs> do you yeah. remember when you were saying about righteous rage um i have this really and i was talking to my therapist and i was like oh, this is like a core memory you know like an inside out um i was talking to my i'd moved churches this was during the equal marriage legislation when the equal marriage legislation was being passed in scotland mm-hmm. and i'd moved churches because i'd gone three well i think it says in the essay i'd gone like four rounds with the minister in a you know, in the village where I got married and my children were both baptised. And then when we had to leave because he was an absolute homophobe, and I was like, great, thanks. And I was talking to um, the minister at the new church that I'd um, escaped to. This is a theme. Um, and she just, the first thing she said was, well, there's righteous anger. You know, there was no sort of like, oh, well, you know, maybe you should, you know, try not to hold a grudge. And yes, maybe you should the... forgive and let go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, as a Christian minister, I was quite... Turn the other you know, cheek. Yeah, there was yeah. none of that. It was like, nope, you're absolutely fine. And a friend of mine was saying the other day, like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, you know. Look at the world right now. Mm. Woohoo! <laughs> but, pick, but pick your topic. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have and, to fight all of it. the things. But no, because yeah. you can't. You'll just burn out. Yeah. But but like you say, like, use the anger to, to as a... Oh, I can't even think of the word, but as a, a way catalyst, to yeah. thank you as a catalyst. Don't just sit with it in your body. No, because when we do that, when it's not expressed creatively, like through action or writing poetry or drawing, journaling, burning it, having a little good fire, um, it does. It just it turns into or it suppresses the body. It mm-hmm. becomes like air quotes depression, not as in mm-hmm. like biochemicals not working, but just that. Oh, I think you use the word like burnt, burnt out. It like burns you. Literally, mm-hmm. so it takes all that away. Someone asked mm-hmm. me like, "When was the last time you were angry, Rebecca?" And I thought, "Oh, I haven't felt angry recently. I felt like I'd missed out." You <laughs> know, and I was like, "Oh, I want that kind of like let, let's Not having this. the full human experience here. Yeah. I want to be cross about something. I'll send you some links." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could do that. Like, right, let's go. Hands on hips. Let's use this energy. But I do. I think it can be a really powerful catalyst for change to bring that transformation mm-hmm. but a healthy anger like a oh, I always want to say a fresh anger not one that you've been nurturing for like 30 years yeah that probably needs a little bit of extra help mm-hmm. um but yeah there is that that potency in that anger mm, definitely so more writing for you then hopefully fingers crossed if the kids actually go to school and stay there <laughs> that's all I ask Oh, motherhood, the joys of motherhood. Oh, it's so fun. <laughs> Do you see yourself doing any more with, like, if, if you had more time with your tarot, with your candles, with your, are you just like allowing things to evolve in that stage of your life and just following the curiosity? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we were saying earlier as well, um, you know, I kind of just make it up as I go along. Mm-hmm. So it was this, when we're recording, it was the solstice, solstice last night. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I said to the kids, I was like, do you want to do some solstice fun times? And they were like, what are they? And I was like, I'm not sure. I'm going to just make them up as we go along. So we wrote down some intentions. Yeah, we, 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 we made a yeah. fire. Uh, <laughs> we did some tarot. Um, we had nice drinks which I thought was quite important. It felt like quite an important part. And we planted yeah. some seeds that we'd got at the the Modern Craft launch at Lighthouse Books on Saturday. We were given some seeds to plant nice. on the solstice. So we planted Fantastic. our seeds. Cool. And it's, again, it's just those moments. It's like sometimes I think people think magical witchcraft or anything like, or ritual has to be like very convoluted and very long with all of the tools and all of the trimmings. And sometimes 
you know, my ritual be like, well, this is a ritual because I do it every night. I just look out my window and I notice where the moon is. That's it. And then I shut mm. my curtains and go to bed. Sometimes yeah. I, I know when the moon's going to be there. And I know when it's not going to be there. And I still look anyway because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to connect. <laughs> the moon is, I can't see the moon tonight. And then I close my curtains. Yeah. And it's something just that pause. Yeah. yeah. Taking your socks off and, and putting your feet on the ground. Yeah. Like, or sharing drinks with your family. Mm-hmm. Toasting each other. <laughs> yeah, it's just like or, or not you know? <laughs> <laughs> growling it you know teenagers who knows don't know this one um you know just that just creating those moments i think is is where the magic is at isn't it it's not about mm-hmm. oh you've used the wrong color candle it's the solstice you shouldn't be using green or you know or whatever yeah and why whatever haven't you got ideology a fancy cauldron uh, or these crystals or no, this hang on a minute though. Or... i do agree with that why you don't do you need a fancy, fancy cauldron, cauldron? <laughs> I take that back. Take that back. <laughs> take that back. Don't worry about the crystals, but the cauldron. No, <laughs> use a saucepan. Saucepan is the ultimate cauldron. So, oh. as someone who is slightly obsessed by cauldrons, I'm looking now and I can see one, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, ten, just in my eye shot right now. No. Oh, 11. There's one on my oh, desk. <laughs> They're actual cauldrons. One's like a proper, you know, like 30 inch cauldron. The rest are kind of a bit smaller. Oh, no, there's two more. I forgot because they're on statues. I'm, I'm going to stop looking. Yeah, <laughs> they're appearing, yeah. they're breathing. So, yes, everyone should have a cauldron. And a cauldron could just be a bowl, could be a saucepan. Next time you make your soup, stir in your magic and you just think, oh, here's my cauldron. Because that's what cauldrons are. They're there to nourish and nurture. They are saucepans. Awesome. That we then started to do a little bit more magic in. <laughs> Love it. So, um, where can people find you to learn more about your work? And of course, The Modern Craft is now released. The Modern Craft, powerful voices on witchcraft and ethics, where they can read your story and the other people that we've had on this podcast mm. and more. It's, so it's really an excellent collection. I, it's I really fabulous, it. isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. I had someone say the other day, they're like, oh my God, I'm really enjoying the podcast episodes because they're just so diverse. Yeah. And they're just conversations that, not need to be had but I think more people need to just they're not lectures they just think about it just think yeah. about things in a different way yeah there's definitely yeah. it would be nice if more people could make space for like we say others and the edges and mm. you know have a think about that yeah so uh, sorry where else can people find you oh, right. apart from this uh, book available on Amazon and all good bookshops, <laughs> well, all good bookshops. <laughs> uh, I am Stella underscore HB I think in Instagram um Links in the show notes. Links in the show notes. <laughs> I'm on Twitter very sporadically because it is a bit of a nightmare and a bin fire and you just have to do lots of self-care. Um, and if you put my full name into Google, I think you'll find my website uh, and you can... I'll link your get, website. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Get directly in touch with me there if you want to talk about witchy stuff. Um, I'm Despite, you know, blowing up my community and running away and now being a self-professed hermit I am actually like quite happy to chat to people and I do like connection and friendship I'm not that bad so um, yeah hit me up (laughs) real connection Mm. not just middle class glazes polite connection yeah (laughs) yes polite polite connection yeah maybe that's your next topic (laughs) why do we need to be raw and messy why do we need to have rude connection (laughs) not that rude though um, 
Yes, fabulous. Stella, it's been an absolute um, blast talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome.